we must set to work. And this setting to work also means organizing ourselves. It means creating the conditions of reference and relating between anarchists, conditions which must be other than those of the past. Reality has changed. As I said before, they are building a different man, a dequalified man, and they are building him because they need to build a dequalified society. They have removed the figure of the worker from the center of the conception of the political society as it was after dequalifying him. In the past, the worker bore the great brunt of exploitation. That is why it was thought that this social figure would necessarily give birth to the revolution. It is sufficient to think of the Marxist analysis. Marx's capital is dedicated to the liberation of the worker. When Marx speaks of man, he means the worker. In his analysis of value, he is talking about the workplace. In his analysis of alienation, he is talking about work. There is nothing that does not concern work. But that is because the worker was central to the Marxist analysis at the time it was developed. The working class could be seen to be the center of the social structure. Using different analyses, anarchists also came to a consideration that the worker's position was the center of the social world. Think of the anarcho-syndicalist's analysis. For the anarcho-syndicalist, it was a question of taking the concept of trades union struggle to its extreme consequences, freeing it from the narrower dimension of trades union bargaining and developing it, right to the realization of the revolution through the general strike. So according to the anarcho-syndicalists, the society of the future, the freed anarchist society, was to be nothing other than the present society, freed from power, but with the same productive structures, no longer in the hands of the capitalists, but in the hands of the collectivity who had managed them in common. This concept is absolutely impracticable today for various reasons. First of all, because the technological transformation has made it impossible for there to be a simple passage from the present society to the future one we desire to live in. A direct passage would be impossible for the simple reason that it is not possible to use information technology in liberated forms in, in a liberatory way. The new technologies and computer technology applications have not limited themselves to bringing about certain modifications in particular instruments. They have tra transformed all other technologies as well. The factory, for instance, is not simply a structure of the past with the addition of computer technology, but has become a computerized factory, which is quite different. Bearing this in mind, we can only mention these concepts in a very general way, because it would take time to go into them adequately. So we must recognize that it is not possible to use this patrimony. This passage runs parallel to the end of the myth of the centrality of the working class. Now, in a situation where the working class has practically disintegrated, the possibility of an expropriation of the means of production no longer exists. So what is the conclusion? The only possible conclusion is that this set of instruments of production we have before us be destroyed. The only possible way is to pass through the dramatic reality of destruction. If the revolution we imagine, in which, moreover, we have no certainty of ever com coming about, it will not be the revolution of the past that saw itself as one single event that might even take place in a day or one fine evening, but will be a long, tragic, bloody affair that could pass through unconceivably violent, unconceivably tragic processes. All this is the kind of reality we are moving towards. Not because that is what we desire, not because we like violence, blood, destruction, civil war, death, rape, barbarity. It is not that, but because it is the only plausible road. The road that the transformation wanted by those ruling us, and who are in command, have made necessary. They have moved on to this road. We cannot, with a simple flight of fancy, a simple dream, change all that. In the past hypothesis, where a strong working class existed, one could fool oneself about this passage and organize accordingly. For example, 
The organizational proposal of the anarcho-syndicalism saw a strong syndicalist movement which, penetrating the working class and organizing almost the whole of it, was to bring about this expropriation and passage. This collective subject, who was probably mythical from the start, no longer exists even in, it, in its mythical version. So what sense would there be in a syndicalist movement of a revolutionary nature? What sense would there be in an anarcho-syndicalist movement? None at all. So the struggle must begin elsewhere, with other ideas and methods. That is why we have been developing a critique of syndicalism and anarcho-syndicalism for about 15 years. That is why we are, and define ourselves, insurrectionalist anarchists. Not because we think the solution is the barricades. The barricades could be a tragic consequence of choices that are not our own. But we are insurrectionalists because we think that anarchist action must necessarily face very serious problems. These problems are not desired by anarchism, but are imposed by the reality that those in power have built, and we cannot obliterate them simply by wishing them away. An anarchist organization that projects itself into the future should therefore be agile. It cannot present itself with the cumbersome characteristics and quantitative heaviness of the structures of the past. It cannot pre present itself in a dimension of synthesis, like organizations of the past, where the anarchist structure claimed to sum up reality in commissions that treated all the various problems, making decisions at periodical congresses on the basis of theses that even went back to the last century. All this has seen its day, not because a century has passed since it was thought out, but because reality has changed. That is why we maintain that there is a need for the formation of small groups based on the concept of affinity, even tiny groups made up of very few comrades who know each other and deepen this knowledge because there cannot be affinity if one does not have knowledge of the other. One can only recognize one's affinities by going into the elements that determines one's differences, by frequenting each other. This knowledge is a personal fact, but it is also a question of ideas, debate, discussions. But in relation to the first points we made this evening, if you remember, there can be no going into ideas if there is not also a practice of bringing about actions. So, there is a continual reciprocal process of going into ideas and realizing actions. A small group of comrades, a small group who simply meet in the evening to have a chat, would not be an affinity group, but a group of friends, pub mates, who would meet in the evening to talk about anything under the sun. On the contrary, a group that meets to discuss and in discussing prepares itself for doing and in that doing contributes to the developing discussions which transforms itself into further discussions on things to be done. This is the mechanism of the affinity group. So how then can affinity groups enter into contact with others where the deepened knowledge that, that exists in the single group does not necessarily exist? This contact can be assured by informal organization. But what is an informal organization? There could be relationships of an informal kind between the various affinity groups that enter into contact with each other in order to exchange ideas and do things together, and consequently, the existence of an organization, also very widespread throughout the country, comprised of even tens, why not, hundreds of organizations, structures, groups of an informal character based on discussion, periodic analysis, things to be done together, etc., the organizational logic of insurrectional anarchism is different to the organizations we mentioned earlier concerning anarcho-syndicalism. The organizational forms referred to here in a few words merit going into, something I cannot do now in the dimension of a conference. But such a way of organizing would, in my opinion, remain simply something within the anarchist movement were it not also to realize relations beyond it. That is through the construction of external groups, external nuclei, also with informal characteristics. These groups should not be composed of anarchists alone. Anyone who intends to struggle to reach given objectives, even circumscribed ones, could participate so long as they take a number of essential conditions into account.
First of all, permanent conflict. That is groups with the characteristic of attacking the reality in which they find themselves without waiting for orders from anywhere else. Then the characteristic of being autonomous, that is, of not depending on or having any relations at all with political parties or trade union organizations. Finally, the characteristic of facing problems one by one and not proposing platforms of generic claims that would inevitably transform themselves into administration along the lines of a mini-party or a small alternative trades union. The summary of these ideas might seem rather abstract, and that is why before ending I would like to give an example, because some of these things can be better understood in practice. A theoretical model of this kind was used in an attempt to prevent the construction of the American Missile Base in Comiso in the early 80s. 